everyone, and welcome to a very festive holiday special of One Great History, a podcast all about the great and sometimes not so great parts of Winnipeg history. I'm one of your hosts, Sabrina. Merry Christmas. I'm Alex. <laughs> and we're joined, as always, by our friend and producer, Nick. Hey, happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Jingle, jingle. It, all of that jazz. <laughs> If we sound a little different, we're recording uh, from our individual homes and not from our socially distanced recording studio, which means you may hear Alex or I's cats running around in the background. In all likelihood, yes, there will be cats. Mine are horrifically behaved, so there's always a chance. <laughs> so this episode is a little out of order than the usual ones we're running, because this is just an episode where Alex and I want to talk about Christmas, because we're both big fans. Yes, we're, we're very festive folk. Um, <laughs> what, but in I the guess... interest of... Oh, you go, Alex. I was just going to say, like, I guess you've only had a few, like, a few Winnipeg Christmases. Oh, yeah, no, I do Small Town Morris Christmas every year. Yeah, do you have, like, a favorite Winnipeg Christmas thing? N no, because I always go home for Christmas. Oh, yeah, that's fair. <laughs> I went to the ballet once. I saw the Nutcracker. Oh, that's that, lovely. That was a Christmas gift to my sister. And then that's really the only time I've done Christmassy things in the city. I think I did the ex-Christmas light show, like, two years ago. Right, I think we went to that together. Oh, yeah, we did. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, I love Christmas. This is the only place I've ever spent Christmas, actually. And, so you've yeah. also missed out on a Morris Christmas, is what I'm Well, hearing. that's true. I have missed out on a Morris Christmas. Is there anything really exciting in Morris? Uh, no. I go to my church every year in Morris. It's the only time we ever go as a family, and I sit with my best friend's family, and we cause a ruckus in the back. <laughs> My best friend's grandma is embarrassed to sit with us because we're too noisy. What is your idea oh, of a ruckus at church at Christmas time, Sabrina? Um, I'm, I'm we... very curious how quaint it will be. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's mostly that we'll all sort of sit in the back and then whisper jokes to see who can make each other laugh. <laughs> and then this, it hasn't yeah, gotten like wildly out of hand. the from the pastor? Yeah, not really. The pastor kind of tolerates it. What a wholesome ruckus. Yeah. <laughs> um... This more often than not, my brother and I will try and sing Silent Night in German and we're really bad at it. <laughs> or my friend and my best friend's mom, they both did choir and they're both good singers. So they try and outdo each other on Angels We Have Heard on High every year. Oh, <laughs> we're very loud. It's yeah. I think the gist of it. But also, there's a family history of us being loud in church before we stopped going when we all didn't want to uh, wake up early. My grandpa, my dad, and my brother were all known for falling asleep in the back pew and snoring over the service. <laughs> yeah, and I've actually never been to a, like, Christmas service, like a church service, because I wasn't... Well, you weren't, like, raised Christian. No, so I wasn't raised sense. Christian, and so that makes sense. But I do like all the kind of Jesus-y stuff, actually. <laughs> it's very fun. I like the Christmas Eve services. They're cozy, though yeah. we don't get to do one this year. No. But so uh, be... hopefully, hopefully next year. Do you guys have any other fun non-church-related Christmas traditions? <laughs> uh, uh... Yeah, I, I like to go to, we always go to the bay and pick out a new ornament, me and my family. Uh, we're going to have to start That's going fun. to a different, a different bay, I guess, after this year, <laughs> which is <laughs> upsetting. Um, I actually really like Portage Place at Christmas. No they, one's ever said that before. No, <laughs> that might be the first time that sentence has been used. <laughs> but they actually decorate it really beautifully. I don't know. I like walking. I mean, it's a nice looking mall. As yes. like weird as it is, it's nice. Yeah. And then um, 
my family usually goes to Dalnavert also, and we listen to Ron Robinson read A Christmas Carol, which is probably oh, our, like, nice. yeah, our, like, coziest little Christmas tradition. Nice. My uh, mom's birthday is two days before Christmas, so it's kind of like a three-day deal of, like, my mom's birthday, and then Christmas Eve at my parents', and then uh, Christmas Day at my in-laws', and, but then there's also, like, a lot of just, like, driving around to, like, visit everyone else oh, yeah. in oh, yeah. between, and it's also, like, Christmas is, like, I think it's more fun now because, like, I have a little four-year-old niece, and so watching it all through her eyes and, like, just her helping everyone getting, like, everyone's presents and stuff like that, like, it's just, it's more fun to have a kid around. Yeah, um, yeah definitely. <laughs> yeah, last so. year we had Christmas at my apartment, which was really fun. My nephew was, like, just, like, a year and a half and was so excited about opening <laughs> oh. everyone's presents. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Although most of the presents are for my niece at this point. Yes. Because <laughs> so, yeah. everyone's just like, spoil her. She's the only grandchild. Yeah, that uh, makes sense. It's, it's a lot of fun. Uh, but yeah, so just to start out, I mean, I was kind of looking just for like Christmas newspapers and just wanted to do almost like a Christmas through the ages rundown of fun little things I found through the years. Mm-hmm. Um, so these are on no particular theme. These are just things that I thought were, were fun or interesting. So uh, to start out in 1882, in the Winnipeg Daily Sun, um, an unnamed old resident recollects how 63 representatives of Governor McDougall spent Christmas in a Red River prison in 1869, <laughs> having been arrested by Louis Riel's provisional government. Huh. And huh. Uh, he goes on about how uh, their Christmas dinner was put together. So, if this story is to be believed, apparently Louis Riel was only feeding them pemmican. I, of course, okay. I don't know if that's true, but apparently someone got a hold of some beef, bread, and tea, and some local ladies cooked up a plum pudding. Oh. Have you guys tried a plum pudding? I have not. No. It sounds awful. Uh, yeah, a couple years ago, my little sister and I thought it would be fun to get one, because, you know, traditional Christmas mm-hmm. thing, they're gross. Don't, don't have a plum pudding. <laughs> what, is, what is it specifically? Um, it's almost like, it's, it's sort of, um, uh, I'm not doing she, She's good. drawing shapes with her hand I'm right drawing now. shapes with my <laughs> hand. Which is really which is great. Not, which is not helpful. It's like a dome shape almost. <laughs> and kind of like, like a cake, but more moist and more like a little more jelly-y. I don't know. Mm. It's gross. It's kind yeah. of in the tradition of like fruit cakes of like gross desserts <laughs> that the English dreamt up. <laughs> And then I you put, just, like, a sauce on it sometimes. Yeah. yeah, I hate fruits and baking generally, so that seems like maybe the worst thing yeah. ever to me. <laughs> um, yeah, so also in 1882, there's this great ad that says, The public are under the impression that Santa Claus never enters a shoe store. <laughs> now, this is a great I have mistake. Questions. <laughs> <laughs> this is a great mistake, Sabrina. As okay. he's already arrived at Ryan's. With a magnificent assortment of Canadian and American fancy goods for the holidays. That's such a dumb ad. What misconception is there that Santa doesn't go in a shoe store? Santa doesn't wear shoes. Everyone knows this. Notoriously barefoot Santa Claus. <laughs> like, does he take off his boots before he goes down the chimney so he can? It's only toe? polite, Nick. Is yeah, that like what his... they're trying to say. He is it like when his... you go to someone's home and you take your shoes off to be polite? Is Santa just very well mannered? Yeah, maybe. Or just, like, his magic keeps his feet warm. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) But there you go. No, it's a myth, though, apparently. Santa does go to shoe stores. 
But only Ryan's. Only Ryan's. Um, an 1884 gossip column in the sun. This is really fun because it's just like in the middle of the gossip column. It tells us that Santa Claus will arrive by special train over the Canadian Pacific Railway about midnight. Oh, that's nice. So apparently coming by train rather than by reindeer. 1906, we've got a nice page um, talking about all the different Christmas dinners being served at hotels. Notably, the Empire Hotel is serving clear green turtle. What? <laughs> and roast haunch of cub bear. Well, so, one of those sounds like a meal and one doesn't. <laughs> Someone's going to have to tell me if those are, like, actually turtle and bear. Or if that's, like, a name for a different kind of food. Like, I don't know. <laughs> I could see it being bear. It's the clear part in the turtle thing that gets me. <laughs> I think they just mean turtle soup. But Presumably. In 1906 Winnipeg, that's some weird stuff to be serving. I don't know where yeah. they got that many cubs either. Cub bears. Ooh. I mean, there's, I guess, bears all over in, like, Bird's Hill area still. Or yeah. bears all over in Bird's Hill area. So not impossible. I guess. I don't know to why you want bunch. to eat a bear. It's a little weird. Uh, <laughs> in 1921, an ad suggests that a good gift for your loved one this year might be money management classes from the Merchant Bank of Canada. <laughs> <laughs> so that seems passive aggressive to me. Yeah. Um, the 1920s also are just generally full of like society columns talking about who's going to spend Christmas in Winnipeg, who's ready to receive. Um, this is also when companies start taking out um, ads to wish people a Merry Christmas. So oh, it's interesting. Kind of a funny mix between like the quaint, like small town thing of, oh, we've got the society column of like Mrs. Johnson is spending Christmas here. But also we've got now these companies being like, hey, think of us. It's Christmas time. Mm -hmm. uh, 1928, we've got a full page suggesting an electric Christmas with ads for electric gifts, including hot plates, radios, and lamps. Oh, exciting. Um, and a radical suggestion that people try decorating their homes with electric lights. Ooh. And indeed, the next year, so 1929 is actually the first year that Portage Avenue was decorated with electric Christmas lights. Oh, cool. Yeah. There so, are some, like, fabulous pictures of that. Never yeah. From, like, the 30s. No. <laughs> Actually, so this is kind of a, an interesting, um, like, advertising tactic by the uh, electric people because, like, they they paid for it, I think. Oh. Uh, yeah, I 19... guess that makes sense. Yeah. For, like, an ad campaign at the time. Yeah, to be like, hey, this is a, a thing you can have in your house, electric lamps. Mm -hmm. Who would think of that? 1934, there's an ad suggesting that a good Christmas gift might be a musical dinner gong. <laughs> <laughs> so, like a gong you'd ring when dinner is ready? Yeah. It's $10, too, which is like, I don't know, in the That's middle of the Great Depression. The time, yeah. I don't know if I want to buy a $10 musical dinner gong. <laughs> Who is that marketed for? Yell dinner is ready. The old-fashioned way. <laughs> Maybe your house is too big. I don't know. And a gong will solve this problem. Yeah. <laughs> it would be a little bit satisfying to finish cooking up a nice dinner and just like, okay, everyone, gong, come and eat. My, my grandma used to have a little bell that she would ring, and I swear she just put it oh. up for like me and my sister to ring for dinner or whatever. But oh. we would always ding it when it wasn't dinner and yeah. be annoying. And like, so I'm imagining like kids mucking around. Well, that's around just with confusing, gong. Nick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. Maybe it was like I want dinner. I don't know. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> 
So like yeah, you're, you're right. like the an old timey rich person ringing a bell, going, "I'm hungry, servant, bring me some food." Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> uh, in 1944, um, the Manitoba telephone system, so what we might know as MTS, reminds Manitobans that the lines will be extra busy on Christmas due to war traffic. So be oh. prepared for longer waits than usual for long distance calls. They say that that's their busiest day of the year, which makes sense. You know, everyone is um, calling their loved ones. Yeah. And I suppose everyone will be doing that this year as well. Just online. There's no poor call connector trying to connect well, everyone yeah. who's staying Although, at home I mean, the internet, I feel like, has sometimes been weird during lockdown, right? That's true, yeah. Kind of the same thing. Uh, 1945, there's an article called Santa Has New Problems. Uh, the fact that more families than ever before found themselves in Winnipeg hotels at Christmas time almost had him stumped. What with the maze of corridors and boys and girls far away from their usual addresses. Apparently one little girl was very worried that the hotel elevators wouldn't run late enough for Santa to come up and find her. <laughs> and apparently the elevator operator uh, reassured another little girl that he would direct Santa to her room once he came. Oh, that's so nice. very cute. Uh, 1949 has a pretty good sounding Christmas dinner menu that they suggest. They've got actually, throughout the war and then after that as well, some pretty neat sounding dinner menus, which sound pretty similar to what we have now, aside from some weird things. <laughs> um, so there's a fruit cup, celery and olives, roast turkey with stuffing, mashed potatoes, gravy, lemon carrots, I don't know what that is, or spiced cranberry bells. Uh, plum and apple jelly, Christmas pudding, and ending with milk and coffee. So that sounds pretty tasty. Yeah, 1960s, the menus get a little weirder. 1962, um, the Tribune suggests jellied tomato soup as an appetizer for Christmas. Huh. That sounds pretty terrible. Yeah. <laughs> but actually, there's a pretty neat 1960 article about what vegetarians have for Christmas. Oh. Uh, and it's actually got a neat recipe for a chestnut roast, which hmm. I might have to try out. Yeah, um, let us know how that is if you do try it. Yeah. Uh, they also suggest a menu with cream of pea soup with croutons, grapefruit, a cheese pastry, Brussels sprouts, puree of chestnuts, plum allumettes. I don't quite know what that is. Maybe like a flaming plum pudding, green salad and Christmas pudding. And apparently one restaurant did mock chicken. Which I didn't oh. know was was uh, something that dated back to the '60s. The kind of you know fake meats. Interesting. I wonder what was in the fake chicken then, though. A good question. I have no idea. Was it just like pork? Was it? <laughs> I like. There's not a lot of like tofu going on in any of no. this. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't think we had that. I think it's mainly like you're eating more starches. Just yeah. But like it's in a chicken shaped mold. I think was what they. Did. Someone has like peeled a potato into the shape of a chicken. I think. <laughs> Or a yam or something. <laughs> I think so it's like weird butter that. sculpting is what it yeah. is. <laughs> yeah. um, and then my last one here, which might be my favorite, is uh, that in 1961, someone backed their car up into the yard of 390 Wellington Crescent in broad daylight and took the uh, house's tree, complete <laughs> with lights and decorations. Oh, oh no! <laughs> I love it. That's such a good theft. That's amazing. Yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, if you don't feel like getting your own tree, that's one way to do it. Steal someone's, yeah. And probably a pretty nice one on Wellington Crescent, too, so. <laughs> that seems like a National Lampoon skit, a little yeah. bit to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's kind of Christmas through the years up till the 60s there. 
that's very charming. Uh, the first story I have is a little less so. <laughs> I've been calling it um, the reindeer incident, and you will see why in a minute. It's a little more grim, I think. <laughs> Great. So this goes all the way back to um, 1905 in Winnipeg when Eaton's had just opened up. So for some context, Eaton's was a massive department store. It opened in July of 1905. And this is the first year they have the Eaton's Christmas Parade in Toronto. And Winnipeg wasn't quite big enough or really ready to organize a big parade for Eaton's. But what they could organize was a surprise inspection from Santa Claus. A, su- wait, so, a surprise inspection of what? He was coming... Toyland. Oh, So every okay. year at Christmas, Eaton's opened up a massive sort of toy shop called Toyland. Right. So Santa was going to come inspect Toyland, but okay. um, on December 1st, all of Winnipeg's papers gets a telegram from Santa Claus that's posted in the Eaton's insert that year. Uh-huh. And there's two main sections I want to go over. The first is the big telegram that he sends, and it's sent from Port Wawash on November 30th, okay. and it opens with, I am on the way and coming fast. Were it not that I met with a serious disaster, I would have been in Winnipeg a day sooner than expected. While crossing a bay, the ice gave way and my dear and myself were precipitated into the freezing cold water. I was warmly clad and did not much mind. The deer, however, were less fortunate. They managed to gain solid ground, but they were so badly chilled that both died a few hours later. Oh no! (laughs) I have made arrangements to have them properly buried. (laughs) Oh, Santa! I should like to have remained and supervised the funeral. But I must reach Winnipeg as I promised. That's so dark. (laughs) It doesn't get better. I am glad you have had the deer I sent you mounted. The boys and girls can see them and they will no doubt sympathize with me and my unfortunate loss. (laughs) No, Santa, don't send dead deer for the children. (laughs) With the deer gone, I press into service a train of splendid huskies and they are bringing me to the nearest railway station. I can easily make it to Winnipeg and I'll be there Saturday morning. Sure. I don't know if I trust Santa with huskies after that. (laughs) No, he just murders two of his deer and sends them to Winnipeg to be mounted. You have, you could have said anything, Santa. You could have, it's made up. You could have made up anything. This is a fictional thing someone wrote. It was like, you know what kids will really relate to? Deer freezing to death. You know how we've got the fun songs about Santa's reindeer? What if the reindeer died? (laughs) (laughs) So... After that, on the next side of the paper, they publish Santa Claus's program for the day. Okay. So basically, when he arrived in Winnipeg on Saturday morning from the train, because his reindeers were dead, he was going to leave from the CPR (laughs) depot, depot, and then he was going to make his way down Main Street to Portage Avenue and then head to the store. There wasn't a parade in the sense that there were going to be, like, floats, but there were going to be people playing trumpets along with Santa as he made his way down. And then when he got to the store, he would make an inspection of every department to see that everything was as he desired. And then he would eventually return to Toyland and then have a set shot up where kids could go and, like, visit and see Santa Claus. And then um, they did have the deer stuffed and mounted and placed in one of the window displays. Oh, jeez. <laughs> so, so the follow-up to this is... Oh, Nick? Oh, just mall Santas don't need a backstory anymore. Like, I wonder if someone was like, <laughs> you know what? Just have them show up at the mall, have the kids sit in the lab. No one's going to ask how he got here. Yeah, you know like, maybe we don't need to have a story died. about him coming on the train and not having the deer. <laughs> no, probably not. The funny thing about that is that, like, so I used to work at the Manitoba Museum, which has a lot of, like, dead stuffed animals. Mm-hmm. Children are routinely distressed by those 
Yeah. They they do well, ask questions. And so I feel like children are going to be I- interested in this story of how Santa's reindeer died and were there, <laughs> but maybe that's just not the best plan for a window display. <laughs> no. Wasn't it your dad, Alex, who used to tell you the animals were just sleeping? <laughs> I in think... The- I remember having um, intense debates with my cousin about whether there's a stuffed cat at the museum about whether it was sleeping or dead. So he was convinced that it was just sleeping. And I'm like, it oh. never moved. <laughs> it's just always tired. Yeah. So um, there's sort of a follow up to this. There's like a three day saga in the paper where it's telegrams coming in from Santa oh, in updates about how this journey is progressing. So a day after he sends the telegram an update about his deer dying, he sends one in saying that he's arrived safely, and before this message will be in print, I will be on board a train hastening to Winnipeg. Before it is read by many of the children, I hope to have seen them and have grasped their hands. Tell them all to come visit me. I have a lot of toys that I want to give away to them. Of course, there won't be toys for all of them, but just the same, there will be a lot. Nothing of great interest has happened since my deer were drowned. The huskies have done splendidly. They were certainly faithful and affectionate, but I am truly lonesome without my reindeer. Oh my god. (laughs) It's just so sad. Nick is right. This is is made up. Why did they do that? (laughs) I don't know. They could have done anything they wanted with Santa's telegrams. They were like, no, let's talk about it. We sat at Christmas because his deer drowned. (laughs) And like parent, I'm imagining parents reading this out loud to their kids, like at the breakfast table, reading the paper. Oh, there's a telegram from Santa in the paper, and it's like, oh, oh my god! And the kids are crying into their shreddies, and it's like, why? Why did the deers die, mom? And mom's like, I don't know. No. I suspect Eaton's got some confused letters from parents. Because yeah. Yeah. I would probably send one in to be like, why were you doing? This? What, what are you doing, Eaton's? Um. So a day after Santa arrives, he posts another ad in the paper saying an apology from Santa Claus. And he's not apologizing for what you think. Okay, what is he apologizing for? Santa Claus asks us to offer an explanation in connection with Saturday's procession. He asked to announce that there would be trumpeters following along, but unfortunately the trumpeters were not accustomed to horseback riding. To secure others would not have delayed the procession, and Santa Claus is above all things punctual. He insisted on starting at the announced time, even if you were unable to travel in his accustomed style. Uh, what? Yeah. I the issue is that the trumpeters weren't ready. I did not think at any point that the trumpeters were going to be on horseback. Why? <laughs> Surprise! Surprise! But also, I love the implication that his accustomed style is being serenaded by trumpeters. Yeah. On and that's Santa's main mode to, of getting around. Okay, but the crazy thing about that is I have to assume that they did originally anticipate to have trumpeters. Yeah, and then they just, they didn't ask if they could play on horseback? Yeah, and then like, <laughs> did they show up that day and they were like, okay, get on the horses. And they were all like, no. <laughs> yeah, I have, I have a lot of questions about how this all played out. That's so strange. I mean, the question is mostly, Why? Just yeah. over and over again. <laughs> but it does sort of tie into a fun Eaton's tradition that Eaton's was sort of known for, which is their window displays. Yes. So in 1905, the Christmas window display included Santa's dead deer. 
but <laughs> they went on to be a little more charming later on. I think you were looking into that, hey, Alex? Yes. So um, what kind of got me into this was um, one of my family's other Christmas traditions was to go to the Children's Museum to see the Eaton's Christmas vignettes. So okay, so the thing with that I want to add, I went there once as a kid and then no one in my family remembered going, so I thought for probably 20 years I had made it up until <laughs> you confirmed they were real. I wouldn't, I wouldn't blame you. Nick, have you seen the, the Christmas vignettes? I don't think so. Okay, they're like so a fever they're, dream. They're, yeah, especially, they're a little nicer now. They've definitely undergone refurbishment, but they're basically several display cases, like I think 15 now of kind of moving dolls like animatronics kind of telling various fairy tales they're oh, kind no, of like I little like mini dioramas you know <laughs> they i would say that if you saw them like 20 years ago they were probably kind of horrifying for a while they really fell into disrepair and were kind of like like the little match girl was like missing a finger and like ah. <laughs> kind of jerkily moving around um you're describing nightmares to me yeah they're quite nice though they've actually been refurbished now they're pretty cute um and i think yeah i think what both of us found doing research on winnipeg christmas is that eaton's was kind of like the center of christmas in winnipeg oh yeah very much so in a lot of ways like i mean in addition to just like the things people were doing in their homes and that but at least for like public christmas celebrations so they had of course that christmas village they had toys and like sales for grown-ups they even had um a daycare where you could like drop off your kid so that you could go shopping which is pretty good oh so like the ikea playland area yeah <laughs> basically actually very similar <laughs> um they also did a thing called patsy's christmas party um which okay. was a tea party for children uh held in eaton's grill room and each year with a different theme so oh. um and entertainment was sometimes arranged by alice weir who was a dance instructor and i feel like we should maybe do an episode on her at some point she's one of these neat. days yeah um and of course they always had santa um <laughs> and in fact one year um there's a comic in the tribune about how santa sends a letter to eaton's requesting a representative come to the north pole oh which is fun um but uh, one of the big things of Eaton's kind of, yeah, public Christmas display was, of course, these window displays. And tracing the history of those vignettes specifically proved to be a little trickier than I thought. Hmm. So the Children's Museum, which is where they are now, they all they say is that they've been on display for at least 40 years, which is not all that specific. Um, the Children's Museum is, I don't even think it's quite 40 years old. No, and so they haven't been on display at the Children's Museum for 40 years, oh, to be clear. Okay. So they came to the Children's Museum in 1999 when Eaton's closed. Okay. So that much we know. Um, but, of course, Eaton's had had these Christmas window displays for years. Like, your terrifying reindeer story was, what, 1905? 1905. Yeah. Which is so the first year Eaton's opened. Right, so, so they've, had, they've had Christmas displays, but I guess what's new after the Second World War is they get motorized Christmas displays. Oh. So I think these are the origins here. So after World War II, apparently there's a surplus of motors. And so <laughs> okay. in 1946, a bunch of returned veterans helped to build these kind of moving window displays for Christmas. Hmm. Um, so these have, yeah, things like little fairy tales, little Christmas stories... And those are put on display for several years in, like, the 40s and 50s, but they're eventually kind of packed up for other things. 
And so by the 70s, a lot of those models were basically just like gathering dust in boxes in various Eaton's warehouses. Um, and then for whatever reason, in 1976, they end up hiring designer Ken Cox, who had previously worked for Eaton's, to basically gather up all of those old motorized models and kind of sort through them and see what can be made into something new. So some of them had deteriorated, some of them had to be repaired, um, some of them couldn't be used at all. Uh, just about all of them had to be recostumed, though, which apparently was a big deal. So there were, like, at least a couple hundred of these, probably two or three hundred. Oh, wow. Yeah. So the ones that they decided to use, his wife, Jean, as well as an Eaton's employee called Louise Williams, made custom costumes for all of them. Uh, which apparently was difficult because most of the figures, like, they're not flexible. They don't bend, right? Oh, so, yeah. difficult to clothe. And, of course, had to be made custom because they're all different shapes and sizes. And so Ken and his wife ended up pulling together about 30 new displays using over 100 models. Um, and it's made into this kind of Christmas fantasy fairyland. So let me see if I can just find the description here. So this is uh, from one of the first years when it was there. I think the first year. It's called Once Upon a Christmas. A storybook land on Eaton's eighth floor and now open to thrill the young of all ages. A very special place where children will meet all their favorite fairy tale folk. Jack with his beanstalk, old King Cole, Winkin, Blinkin, and Nod. They'll see teddy bears having a picnic, the angels sewing circle, and even dear Mrs. Santa. With lights. What is an angel sewing circle? I don't know. <laughs> it's a great they make question. it seem like it's just a thing everyone knows about. Yeah. yeah. I guess maybe people did then. I. <laughs> Sorry yeah. to interrupt. No, but that's like, okay. That image of like dead people sewing in heaven <laughs> with wings. It's just like it's eerie. Isn't that what you want to do when you die, Nick? Is just like <laughs> sit in a circle and sew with your pals for for eternity. For eternity. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so it's a magical place with no charge for admission. And of course, Santa is also there as well. Uh, so that runs in that form for a few years. And so um, after a few years, they, they kind of they make new ones. And some of those scenes are actually sold to Eaton stores in other cities as well. So mm. with the result that actually the Western Development Museum in Saskatchewan ended up with a bunch of them. And they now also have a Once Upon a Christmas display. Huh. Um, and so I think what we're probably seeing now at the Children's Museum is a kind of combination of those refurbished exhibits from the 70s, and I would guess, like, some newer models from ensuing years. That would make sense. Yeah, but like I say, tracing the actual, like, specific history of each of those is seems basically impossible. <laughs> You'd probably need, like, Eaton's company records, and that would be super boring to go through, would be yeah. my guess. <laughs> Um, but yeah, now they're at the Children's Museum, so there's 15 of them. They've undergone several rounds of refurbishment. Last I saw them, they're, they're looking pretty nice. Um, and they've also recently been expanded with six new characters, which were part mm. of Eaton's last Christmas display, based on a story called The Woodland Nutcracker. So those are like Interesting. bears dancing and stuff. Hmm. So yeah, it's quite a nice uh, little display with uh, a, a much older history than I would have guessed, actually. Yeah, I didn't realize it went back quite that long. 
Yeah. It, especially how old those animatronics were. It would explain why it felt kind of weird to go there as a kid. Yep, yep. A little weird. Um, and I think some of the motors and such have had to be replaced over the yeah, years, too. I doubt I a lot so. of those, like, 1946 motors are still running like they used to. <laughs> they don't make them like they used to, Alex. No, they don't. <laughs> Just, like, pouring oil into these, like, 1940s motors. <laughs> Powered only by very toxic gasoline. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and put it put in a confined window display where they shut the door behind it. Oh like, god, the poor people who have to set those up. Just like just yeah. like fumes filling up the display. <laughs> There's one poor like window dresser who's just always high on gas fumes throughout the forties. <laughs> they live to be thirty-one. <laughs> <laughs> he got like the job age. at twelve though, so it's a long yeah. career. <laughs> yeah, next you'll have to go back and check out those window displays. If it's safe to do so next year, I guess. Yeah, hopefully. The last time I went to see them, it was actually a little weird because um, the Children's Museum, for like very valid, legitimate reasons, doesn't allow um, adults there without children. <laughs> okay, so, that makes sense. Right, which which does make sense. But like, so I went to see it like without thinking of that with my dad and my little sister, who is also not a child anymore. Um. And they were kind of like, oh, we don't know if we can. So they ended up like escorting us back there and kind of like weirdly standing while we looked at the vignettes. <laughs> it was like, it was super awkward. So, I mean, I guess you have like a niece and nephew now. I do now. So next time I'm just going to like haul, haul my nephew along probably. Because <laughs> I had to badger my cousin letting me watch her kids for a day. <laughs> or can I make my sister look younger than she is? Hey, there you go. <laughs> Just put Lena in like, some pigtails or something. Yeah. I feel like Lena and my sister, Cameron, don't look like their children anymore, though, because no. they're, like, 18 and 20, respectively. Yeah, it's unfortunate. <laughs> <laughs> Those days are long gone. So I actually have a video to share with you guys to start this one oh. off. Can you enable screen sharing for me, Alex? They always call him Pumpkinhead. He is a sad little bear. And all because they laugh at him and make fun of his hair. Okay, so Pumpkinhead was a mascot created by Eatons to basically rival Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer's commercial success. <laughs> that is a big swing. It is. That is but and Rudolph was so... created in 1939. Like... Oh, I don't know. I always assumed Rudolph was much older than that because, like, yeah. I grew up singing that song in school. But I did too. Rudolph was created. But like, if I think back to like older stories, he's not no in Rudolph, them. right? Yeah. In like Twas the Night Before Christmas and stuff. Actually, I don't know how old that story is either. But there's no Rudolph. Yeah, he definitely. So. Like, seemed to kind of come out of nowhere. And like, I always thought like maybe he was a marketing thing because. He's got his own song, and, like, the other reindeers don't like him because, yeah. like, oh, yeah, he's the new kid. Like, screw that guy. Yeah. You're exactly right. He was created by um, the Montgomery Ward Department Store in Chicago oh. to sell what? Christmas toys in 1939. Oh. So this is, like, right around, betrayed. like, the peak commercialization of Christmas. So, right. like, there's the Coca-Cola Santa Claus and all of that. And then Rudolph comes along, and he sells toys and books and stuff like that. And if you then cut back to Winnipeg, you have Eaton's who's sort of trying to emulate that success they see in Chicago. Right. By and, creating an identical story. Yeah, basically. But the story of Pumpkinhead and his creations, kind of like a saga that takes us all across North America. Oh. But it starts in Winnipeg with one specific animator, a Charlie Thorson. So Thorson was the son of two Icelandic, immigrant, Icelandic immigrants, Stefan and Sigrid. 
And Thorson was an animator, political cartoonist, and artist. And I, he's definitely an episode in and of himself, because there's lots of real ups and downs in Thorson's oh. life. <laughs> but the uh, gist of it is that across his career, he worked at Disney on Snow White. He helped oh. design characters like Raggedy Ann, Popeye, Bugs Bunny, Elber Fudd, and then he worked with both Warner Brothers and Fleischer Studios. Huh. So this man worked for basically and every giant animation studio. Yeah, in Pumpkinhead, but that comes a little later. <laughs> so he's working at these studios in the 1930s, and then he comes back to Winnipeg in 1947, and he's working on a book about three bears. And apparently oh. it wasn't going very well because he couldn't think of a distinctive enough design. And apparently what sold it for him was the idea of a bear with a sort of unruly top knot of hair. <laughs> and this is the creation of Pumpkinhead. That's cute. The name took a bit more workshopping, but um, Pumpkinhead was his nickname for his son. And that's where Aww, it comes from. That's cute. Yeah, isn't it sweet? <laughs> Nothing says Christmas like a jack-o'-lantern. Yeah, it is a little, I have to say, I don't, I feel like maybe they should have workshopped it a little more. <laughs> yeah, it's not, it's not as Christmassy as Rudolph. For no. sure. But it does sort of tie more into Eaton's Christmas traditions, which might be why it doesn't seem quite as Christmassy anymore. Mm. So Eaton's likes the design and they purchased the rights to it. Or they sort of like incorporated it into the 1947 Santa Claus parade in Toronto. Okay. And he leads the parade and there's a man in a giant pumpkin head costume that walked the entire route in a paper mache pumpkin head <laughs> hat. <laughs> Which is a lot. That must have been very difficult to sort of totter around in. Are there photographs of this? I'm going to look and see, but I can't find any. <laughs> I hope so. Maybe. I'll keep looking. Yeah. But uh, the next year, Eaton's actually turns Pumpkinhead into a Christmas story in a little oh. book. And um, you can really spot the similarities to Rudolph in the story specifically. So... Uh, Pumpkinhead is a, is a bear with messy hair, he gets bullied, and he runs off into the woods to hide. Aww. But, meanwhile, Santa's lead clown gets too sick to lead his parade. The clown apparently drank too many honey sodas. <laughs> <laughs> so, the note here is that honey sodas were, um, an Eaton's drink. Oh, smart. So they're marketing in this, yeah. And then, without the lead Although clown... Although that's great marketing to be like, this'll make you sick if you drink it. <laughs> If you drink too many of them. <laughs> the clown couldn't stop, they were so good. Oh, okay. But without the clown around, no one could lead the parade. And then all of the bears audition, but the clown's hat won't fit on their head. <laughs> but thanks to Pumpkinhead's hair, it fits perfectly. Oh. And then he leads the parade. <laughs> yeah, that's that's very much like... It's very much like Rudolph, except it makes a little less sense. <laughs> Yeah, it's exactly what you'd expect from the Canadian knockoff of Rudolph, though, right? It's like yeah. a little worse. It's like, that's true. It's just like the same thing, but not not quite as good. Because like, does Santa, the reindeer are necessary. Does Santa need clowns? Well, they lead the parade. And without the clowns, you can't have the parade, apparently. Well, I, I think, I think you maybe it's... can have the parade without the lead clown, though. <laughs> uh, you'll have to bring that up with Santa Claus himself. <laughs> So Santa my Claus other my other issue my other issue with this <laughs> with Pumpkinhead. Um this is just not yeah, plausible. Pulls Sabrina, into him right I don't away. Know what to tell Tear him to shreds. <laughs> this defunct children's toy. Let's bring my, back Pumpkinhead. My other issue is that the clown doesn't need to have the hat. Like Rudolph <laughs> needed his red nose to light the way. That was like his his weird thing yeah. was a yeah. was a benefit to them all. 
Pumpkin Head can just wear a hat. <laughs> I was telling a friend about this because I was I really couldn't wait to tell you, Alex. I had to tell someone, and my friend was like, "This is Rudolph, but worse because Rudolph gets to use his special skill." Yeah, and he becomes a hero because of it. Pumpkinhead has to hide his special skill to become <laughs> useful. Like, Which is a really astute observation. Yeah, his hair is just good at holding a hat on. <laughs> like, <laughs> surely they could have bought a new clown hat. <laughs> no, there was no time. Ah, okay, right. It's a hat emergency. <laughs> but Eaton self-published the book, so it didn't cost much to make. It was, I think, three cents-ish a copy to publish. Mm-hmm. So they gave it out for free to kids at Christmas, oh, that's both at fun. the parade and in the Toyland stores. And the book is sort of interesting for a couple of reasons, namely that there wasn't much children's literature in Canada at the time. Right. So this was like a kid's book, finally, that we didn't have many of those that were Canadian. And then also, it had a familiar storyline, so it was pretty easy to follow for children. Like, it's right. a ripoff of every, like, Disney film and Rudolph and all of that stuff. <laughs> yeah. Which means that there are actually five sequels to the Pumpkinhead novel. Oh, wow. Including one where he meets the Snow Fairy, another where he goes to uh, Santa's workshop. Oh, that's fun. So, Pumpkinhead has all sorts of journeys, and the books are all free and given out as, like, Christmas marketing. But the um, bummer of this tale, because, of course, there's a bummer, Uh is that uh, Thorson sold his rights to Pumpkinhead away in 1949 for a dollar. Oh, (laughs) jeez. If he had not done that, he likely could have made a fortune, because Pumpkinhead was then turned into Christmas toys. Into watches, gloves, and lunch boxes, and dolls. Like there was endless pumpkin head merch coming out across the nineteen fifties. So it was like um, a staple toy. Like we've so, never heard of pumpkin head before. No, this, though. not <laughs> once. It's so weird. Um, I feel like there may be a reason for that. So as you're talking, I've been googling pumpkin head, <laughs> and um, the early stuffed pumpkin heads are terrifying. Yeah. Have you seen these? <laughs> I have. Oh man, it's worth well, it to look up. They're surreal. And like Rudolph gets this like delightful Rankin and Bass stop motion animated film, and Pumpkinhead gets scary toys. So yeah, yeah. I guess it's I the mean, reason it's been forgotten to time. But like, it, does, it does seem was... like there's a lot of merch though. There's like Pumpkinhead yeah. Christmas skates here or something. There's a lot of Pumpkinhead stuff. Like he yeah. was a popular toy, seemingly, and he sort of sold off and on throughout the fifties all the way into the eighties. Oh wow! Yeah, so it's weird to me that like my own mother had never heard of him because I asked. I'm gonna. But yeah, actually, I'm gonna have to ask my dad. Please do. Um, and I think continuing the Rudolph similarities, there's also a song about Pumpkinhead. Right. Is so. Is that the one in the video there? Yeah. <laughs> Which I think we can use about 30 seconds of, based on copyright law, so <laughs> can at least help him with the, he was a sad little bear, yeah. which has been stuck in my head for two weeks. <laughs> well, we'll, we'll post it on our on our social media. But, Absolutely. Uh, so so um, everyone can sing Rudolph about how Pumpkinhead was reindeer also had a song. sad little bear. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this horrifying clown head. <laughs> so the Rudolph song was performed and popularized by country singer Gene Autry in 1949. It actually topped the charts in Christmas of that year. Oh, wow. And then um, in 1951, Bill Ibster, a prominent Toronto musician, wrote the Pumpkinhead song. The sheet music was then published, and then apparently they sold about 10,000 copies the week before Christmas, and then close to 30,000 in three weeks after Christmas. 
And then it was picked up by Wilf Carter, whose song we just heard, as well as a guy named Bill Long and his Ranch Girls for the (laughs) National Barn Dance Program. (laughs) The two Pumpkinhead products I want. Sorry, I'm just Googling too. There is a Pumpkinhead bottle warmer and vaporizer. What? There's a book called Pumpkinhead and the Clock That Fell Asleep. Oh. And the cover is Pumpkinhead and a clock yawning together. <laughs> That's adorable. Can we rebrand Pumpkinhead as a vape for teens? Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> Give me one of those Pumpkinhead vapes. Oh, jeez. I think we're all too old to make jokes about vaping. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's the, so the merch weird. is oh my goodness. Yeah, so I've just found this like catalog of there's like what appears to be like socks, a scarf, a belt, maybe? Yeah. Shoes that look like adult shoes. Like I napkins, mean adults can get on the pumpkin plates. head craze too. Why not? Hey. I'll I'll <laughs> get Everyone some loves pumpkin, pumpkin head. head. I'll get me some pumpkin head uh shoes. <laughs> These old pumpkin head dolls look like when Mr. Burns loses his Bobo bear on the Simpsons and it's like a hundred years old and it's just like worn to hell and they find it in like a bag of ice and it's just disgusting looking. That's yeah. what these pumpkin head bears look like. Bobo the yeah, bear. Yeah, like somehow that's all of them, somehow all of them have lopsided eyes. Like I think that's part yeah. of the design. <laughs> See, I have a pumpkin head coloring page open on my computer right now. Oh, amazing. Because Eaton's also put out coloring books to give out for free to kids. Like, the Toyland at Eaton's was apparently a big thing. Um, but... I want to go to this Toyland. Like, it sounds like they were giving away a ton of things for free. It it does. It seems super cool. We could have got yeah. a free pumpkin head book. I or do... maybe we could have seen Santa's dead reindeer in the yeah. window. <laughs> you know, either or. Both very festive. But, like, for all of Pumpkinhead being this big craze that we've never heard of, the design is just from a guy from Winnipeg. And, like, right. also a fairly prolific animator. This guy, like, designed some of the most famous cartoon characters of the 20th century. And then also designed Pumpkinhead. <laughs> there, on I mean, eBay, look. Pumpkinhead goes for hundreds of dollars, by the way. Wow. Oh, yeah. Just looking so now. this is, like, a huge collectible piece now. Yeah. So if you've got uh, Pumpkinhead stuff lying around your house and need to make money... Consider selling it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, or send no. a well, scary doll to one of us. We'd also like that. Oh, uh, <laughs> absolutely. Pumpkinhead would be displayed prominently in my home. <laughs> so uh, those well, are our Yeah, thank Christmas you so stories. much for that amazing story. <laughs> to off I was so excited when I found them. It's so, it's so weird and funny and not great either. Yeah. Speaking of the, I just did a little Google here because I was curious about the history of the Santa Claus Parade, which actually started with Eaton's. Yeah, sure did. In 1905 in Toronto, and then it came to Montreal and Winnipeg in 1909, and they sold it uh, for $1.50 to the East Kildonan Fire Department to run the parade. Yeah, That is wild to me. Yeah, we were talking about maybe talking about the Santa Claus Parade, but the funny thing is I don't think either of us have ever been to the Santa Claus Parade. No. (laughs) See, and I have. That was like a staple when I was growing up. We'd go to the Santa Claus Parade and you'd stand there in the cold for hours (laughs) waiting for the parade to get to like your spot and I was like... And I'm, I'm older than you guys, so I don't know if you remember, like, uh, there was a local station called MTN, and it, they had, no. like, the MTN Kids Club in the morning, and the two mascots were Buckley and Beave. <laughs> and 
Beave was a they were both puppets and Beave started out as a puppet on uh this like it was called Bundy's late night show or something. <laughs> okay. And Bundy was like a guy that worked at MTN and he would just like intro old movies, like old black and white huh. Bella Lugosi movies and stuff. Oh, fun. And so that's where this character of Beave started. It was like kind of like a comedy act. He had him in this puppet. And I, the only real like vivid memory I have of the Santa Claus parade is me being like, mom, mom, there's the MTN float with like, with Beave and Bundy. Get a picture, get a picture. And my mom being like, well, I was able, able to get Bundy waving, but I didn't get the beef. <laughs> Just like the disappointment of like, ah. So that's like. Beave eluded me this year. Yeah, Beave. So if, if anyone has a photo of Beave at the Santa Claus parade, Please I, send I don't Nick. have one, I guess. So. <laughs> so I feel like next year we might have to do a full Santa Claus parade thing because it is yeah. also like a fascinating cultural touchstone well, for so a the, lot of people. The comic I talked about where Santa writes to um, Eaton's asking for a representative, part of the reason is that rehearsals have started for um, the Santa Claus parade. And so he wants a representative there to help out at the North Pole. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> it's just kind of funny how like all these things that we love and hold dear were part of a marketing campaign and we yeah. take them as genuine sincere things like even santa claus started out like in the version we know santa claus as was like a coca-cola ad right like yeah yeah so it's just kind of weird that like here's rudolph who was what was it marshall fields you said or montgomery ward montgomery ward sorry uh and <laughs> And, and our beloved pumpkin head was actually just like yeah. an Eaton's thing. Uh, and the Santa yeah. Claus parade itself well, is an Eaton's and thing. And even like, just the fact that like all of Winnipeg Christmas seems to have been based around a department store. Yeah. Right? Well, it is the true meaning of Christmas. I do like getting presents. I'm going to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it uh, is. I think like every year at school, we would do Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer at a Christmas concert. And it's weird to me to think that we were singing a department store jingle essentially yeah. <laughs> to our families every year. Don't you wish they had made you sing Pumpkinhead though? <laughs> I would have I would have loved to sing Pumpkinhead. <laughs> but Pumpkinhead doesn't even the song doesn't even start out being a Christmas song. It like it takes him a verse no, of chorus yeah. before he meets Santa. <laughs> no, Santa comes in out of left field, I would say. Yeah. You just think this is a song about a depressed bear and then oh, also, Santa. Yeah. <laughs> I will say it was on a record called Christmas in Canada. Ah. So that might be why it takes a little bit to get in. It was the last track on Wolf Carter's Christmas in Canada album. Ah, so like you know Santa's coming at some point. Yeah. And also, just in case you're American, Wolf Carter was known as Montana Slim in the States. I don't know why that is. (laughs) That's actually hilarious. It's like, how do I appeal to Americans? I know. Montana Montana Slim now. (laughs) everyone's favorite state (laughs) all right yeah well that's that's winnipeg christmas and um to kind of um go to a a slightly more serious note here i guess um when i go to that reading of a christmas carol every year one of the things that ron robinson always does at the end is he always reminds us at the end of the story that tiny tim and his family are not just fictional characters but they're our neighbors right that there are people in our communities that, that need our help. And so I think if you're feeling weird about Christmas this year, if you're not feeling all that jolly, that a great way to maybe get into that Christmas spirit would be by um, reaching out into the community and giving someone else a hand. So we wanted to shout out a couple of charities here. Uh, one is Winnipeg Harvest. 
they help to feed 85,000 Manitobans every month, which is pretty insane um, and amazing. Um, and also Main Street Project, which do uh, a ton of excellent work, including addiction support, food and housing support as well, uh, among a myriad of other programs. Um, of course, yeah, they do an astounding yeah. amount of stuff. I donated to them a couple weeks ago, and I remember just looking at the drop-down list of things to donate to, and I was like, oh my god. <laughs> There's yeah, so many yeah. things to choose from. No, they've been doing good work for a long time. They've been, uh, they were really helpful to a family member of one at one time who needed some help. And uh, yeah, definitely recommend supporting either of those or, you know, any other community charity of your choice. Of course, if you still have Christmas shopping to do, consider supporting local stores. Lots are doing online orders and curbside pickup. Um, and also kind of on the theme of this podcast, consider making a donation to one of our cultural institutions, which are really hurting right now and doing their best to preserve our heritage. And they definitely need the support now that everything is closed and it's a tough year for everyone. So help out when you can. Yeah, absolutely. And like I say, that's a, a nice way to maybe feel a little bit more Christmassy this year. <laughs> absolutely. We'll be posting the links to all of this stuff on our website at onegreathistory.wordpress.com. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at One Great History. We're on Twitter as the number one great history. And Thanks for listening. We're going to sort of end this off with a poem called In Winnipeg at Christmas, written by Rose Fileman, which was written in the 1920s. And, okay, Fred Penner did a version of it, so this is going to be kind of a knockoff Fred Penner cover, <laughs> is how I've been describing it. It's a very nice um, poem, though. In Winnipeg at Christmas, there's lots and lots of snow, very clean and crisp and hard and glittering like a Christmas card everywhere you go. Snow upon the housetops, snow along the street, and Queen Victoria in her chair has snow upon her snowy hair and snow upon her feet. In Winnipeg at Christmas, they line the streets with trees. Christmas trees lit up at night with little balls of colored light, as pretty as you please. The people hurry past you in furry boots and wraps. The sleighs are like a picture book, and all the policemen look like teddy bears and caps. And oh, the smiling ladies and jolly girls and boys, and oh, the parties and the fun with lovely things for everyone, books and sweets and toys. So if someday at Christmas you don't know where to go, just pack your bags, I beg, and start at once for Winnipeg. You'll like it there, I know. Merry Christmas, everyone. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Happy New Year.